0: All right, church, open up your Bibles with me, if you will, to Acts chapter 21 this morning. Acts chapter 21. We're going to talk about determining, understanding the will of God today. And the challenge today is for us to go from this place and fulfill the Lord's will in our lives. How many of you in in the past, in your walk with the Lord, have asked God at one time or another, Lord, what is your will for me? Anybody in here? We want to know his will. We want to understand what he wants from us, what he desires from us, what path we should take in life, whether we're considering a new job or a new place to live, who to marry. What to do in very small and very big circumstances. Well, the good news is, is there's a way for us to understand the will of God. And so I'm going to talk to you about that today. And then I'm also going to challenge you to go forth from this place and fulfill God's will for your life. So we're going to catch up with Paul, our missionary, in Acts chapter 21. And in Acts chapter 21, Paul is on his way back to a city called Jerusalem that you've probably heard of before. So look at your your Bibles there, your phones, whatever you have, the Word of God, or you can look at the screen. We're in Acts chapter 21, beginning in verse 1. And we're going to have a map on the screen. If you guys put that up there, I know I told you to put there. That's perfect. That's what I want. And in your bulletins, in case you can't read that tiny writing, there's actually maps in your bulletins. You can get those out. And what we're going to do is we're going to trace Paul on his journey from Miletus or Miletus back to Jerusalem. Look at verse 1. It says, after we tore ourselves away from them in Miletus, we set sail for Kos the next day to Rhodes, and from there, Potera. Finding a ship crossing over to Phoenicia, we boarded and set sail. After we sighted Cyprus passing to the south of it, we sailed on to Syria and arrived at Tyre, since the ship was to unload its cargo there. So Paul has left the Ephesian elders, the pastors from Ephesus, left them with a message that they'll never see him again, and that he's on his way back to Jerusalem, called by the Holy Spirit to go there, where he knows he will be persecuted and arrested. And so what we're going to do is this sermon is really presented in two parts. In the first part, we're going to dive into Paul's life, We're going to see how he understood how he determined the will of God and then figure out if did Paul actually have the faith required to fulfill God's will for his life. We're going to do that in the first half. And then the second half of the sermon is I'm going to show you how you too can understand God's will for your life and then I'm going to challenge you to actually leave this place and go and do it. So let's first look at how Paul heard from God and what God told him to do. Look at verse 4. We sought out the disciples and stayed there seven days. That's Tyre. Through the Spirit, they told Paul not to go to Jerusalem. When our time had come to an end, we left to continue our journey, while all of them, with their wives and children, accompanied us out of the city. After kneeling down on the beach to pray, we said farewell to one another and boarded the ship, and they returned home. So, Paul and his traveling companions, including Luke, the writer of the book of Acts, leave a ship in the city of Tyre, which is a coastal city. It was a a big city. It was where people would go with goods, drop them off in this coastal city, and then other ships would come and pick up those goods, take them into Palestine and the cities to the east. And so, Paul gets off one ship and they meet some believers in Tyre and while there they gather together. So one thing I want to point out quickly is Paul may not necessarily have met met the believers in Tyre, but because they all worship Jesus, because they all have the Holy Spirit dwelling within them, they have a common bond which draws them together. And this is still at work today. All believers, born-again believers, have the Holy Spirit dwelling within them, and therefore all of us as believers have a common bond. We have all of that in common. That's pretty awesome. Believers all over this world share a common bond through our faith in Jesus and the indwelling Holy Spirit. Now, while they're in Tyre, the believers there hear from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit tells them, Paul is going to go to Jerusalem and while in Jerusalem, he's going to be arrested. The Spirit tells them, rather, if you look at the actual text in verse 4, the Spirit told them that Paul was not to go to Jerusalem. Paul knows that he's called by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem And also that when he gets to Jerusalem he's going to be arrested and persecuted for his faith so the believers here go to Paul and tell him we don't want you to go to Jerusalem now this is sort of interesting here so you have Paul who received a message from the Holy Spirit that he is both to go to Jerusalem and when he gets there he's going to be persecuted and arrested for his faith in Jesus Paul meets these believers in Tyre They hear from the Spirit. They tell Paul, we don't think that you should go to Jerusalem. This is interesting. It almost appears as if God's message is contradicting itself. But that's not true because we know from the Word of God, from Numbers 23 and 2 Timothy chapter 2, that God never contradicts himself. So, what's going on here? This is what's happening. Paul knows and he's telling people that he's on his way to Jerusalem. In fact, he can't stay long because he's on his way because God's called him to go to Jerusalem. I think the believers in Tyre know what's going to happen to Paul in Jerusalem. Persecution and arrest. And so if you love Paul and you know the significance of his ministry and how much he spread the gospel around the Middle East, your message to him, right, as someone who loves him would probably be the same, right? Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. Arrest and persecution await you in Jerusalem. But they only have really half the message. You see, they hear from Paul. Paul leaves. Paul continues on his trip. Why? Because God has called him to go to Jerusalem despite the fact that he will be persecuted and arrested. And so he leaves. You see, they only had part of the story. very difficult season awaits Paul in Jerusalem. Therefore, they tell him, don't go to Jerusalem. But Paul knows the whole story. Yes, I realize persecution and arrest await me in Jerusalem. But the Lord has called me to go, and therefore I must go. So Paul remains steadfast in his calling. Verse 7 continues. When we completed our voyage from Tyre, we reached Ptolemais, where we were greeted the brothers and sisters and stayed with them for a day. The next day we left and came to Caesarea, where we entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who is one of the seven, and stayed with him. This man had four virgin daughters who prophesied. So Paul was familiar with the believers in Caesarea because he'd visited them a couple times in the past, If you were to read the book of Acts, you would see two times, at least, on his missionary journeys, he passed through Caesarea, so they knew him there. While there, he stays with an evangelist named Philip. Philip is one of the original seven chosen in the beginning of the book of Acts to serve tables so that the preachers could preach the word. Philip, is said, is a man full of spirit. And he's also the one who led the Ethiopian eunuch, to faith in Jesus. So Philip has found his place in Caesarea and Paul decides to stay with him there. While he's with Philip, Luke identifies that Philip has four unmarried, four virgin daughters who had the spiritual gift of prophecy and were known for this ministry. Verse 10 continues, after we had been there for several days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. So there's Agabus. He comes down from Judea because Judea, and especially Jerusalem, were on a high peak. And so anytime someone left that region, they were descending in altitude. Verse 11 continues. He came to us, he took Paul's belt, tied his own feet and hands, and said, This is what the Holy Spirit says. In this way, the Jews in Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him over to the Gentiles. So while they're in Caesarea, this guy named Agabus comes from Judea. Now, Agabus is known as a prophet because previously, in the book of Acts chapter 11, verses 27 through 30, Agabus prophesied that there would be a severe famine in the region of Judea. And that, of course, took place. In fact, the believers there were in the midst of a famine. That's why Paul took a collection among the believing churches to take back to them, to help them during their time of famine. So Agabus comes with a prophecy in the spirit of an Old Testament prophet for the believers and especially for Paul. His prophecy is this. Whoever owns this belt will be bound in this way when he goes to Jerusalem. This is what the Holy Spirit says. He will, they will bind this man who owns the belt and deliver him over to the Gentiles. Notice that Agabus didn't tell Paul not to go to Jerusalem. He just said, this is what the Spirit says. When you go there, you will be bound and you will be handed over to the Gentiles. Which is exactly what happens to Paul. Now, why on earth would this kind of message be helpful? Well, I'll tell you why. As Paul follows the Spirit's leading into Jerusalem and everything happens to him, the exact way that God says it's going to happen is going to remind Paul that in the midst of this chaos that God is in charge. As he's arrested, as he's persecuted, as he's taken away eventually to Rome to be martyred for his faith, I am sure that Paul remembered the words that the prophet Agabus said God said this would happen and this happened for the glory of my Lord Jesus Christ but not everybody understood this calling in Paul's life look at verse 12 when we heard this both we and the local people pleaded with him not to go up to Jerusalem First, it's important for us to recognize who's begging Paul not to go. First of all, it's the local believers in Caesarea, right? These are people that Paul would have been familiar with, not necessarily close friends of Paul's. But that's not all who begged him not to go. Look at the text. The local people and we. Paul's closest friends, his closest brothers and sisters in Christ, including Luke, the writer of the book of Acts and the gospel of Luke. Beg Paul, please don't go to Jerusalem. It was a heart-wrenching experience for him. And in that moment, he had to decide, am I going to do what God's called me to do in going to Jerusalem, or am I going to surrender myself to the will of Of my friends those i hold dearest those i love in the ministry how does paul answer does paul have the faith to walk into the lion's den when those closest to him are holding him back well he replies in verse 13. typical typical pauline fashion ready then Paul replied, What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Since he would not be persuaded, we said no more except the Lord's will be done. So his friends put this pressure on Paul not to go to Jerusalem, not because they don't love Jesus, but because they love Paul. Think about the value that Paul would have to the New Testament churches why on earth should Paul go to Jerusalem where he be arrested handed over to the Gentiles and probably executed wouldn't he be more useful wouldn't Paul have been more useful to be alive and free and preaching the gospel if I was there I certainly would have been a part of the group of friends begging him not to go Paul replies to them you're breaking my heart Now the word he uses there, that we translate there, breaking my heart, is a word they used in Greek when they would take stones and and push them against fabric while washing them to make them whiter. They would beat the stone against the fabric to wash it. They didn't have washing machines then. Kids, that's something for you to know. A lot of times I think the kids did the washing. So maybe at home, as a way to grow in the Lord, you can wash clothes with stones. So Paul uses that to to portray a graphic picture of what they're doing to his heart because obviously his heart is torn, called by God to go to Jerusalem when the people he loves dearest are telling him, please don't go to Jerusalem. Well, Paul had given his life to Jesus years ago, right? It wasn't just an idea following Jesus. It wasn't just something that seemed fun Paul gave his life to Jesus so in Paul's mind being called to go to Jerusalem to be arrested handed over to the Gentiles and ultimately executed Paul had already given his life to Jesus so wherever Jesus led him he was already ready to go his yes was already down on the table so whatever Jesus wanted that's what Paul was gonna do and he says as much to his friends now his friends also love Jesus So while it wasn't their preference for Paul to go to Jerusalem to be arrested by the Gentiles and to be executed, they too followed the will of the Lord, and they relented, and they prayed for Paul, and they sent him on his way. The Holy Spirit revealed to Paul that he was to travel to Jerusalem to be arrested, handed over to the Gentiles. Paul had already surrendered his life over to the Lord and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. So while I'm sure he did not enjoy what awaited him, his mind was already made up. So he was in the midst of the temptation to walk away from Jesus. He had already given his life over to him. His yes was already on the table. The Lord's will be done in his life. And he followed through with his faith in Christ. Now, how do we apply that to you and I? Can we know the will of God? And also, am I ready to take a step of faith and do what he calls me to do? So let's spend a few minutes talking about that. If you have a Bible, turn it to Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Romans chapter 12. Verse 2. The Lord answers our question about his will in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. He says this, which interestingly was written by Paul Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is good and pleasing and the perfect, what's it say, will of God. You know, it's interesting. The American Psychological Association has identified a new type of neuroscience. It's called cultural neuroscience. Cultural neuroscience uses brain imaging technology to deepen the understanding of how environment and beliefs shape mental function. And they've come to the conclusion that your environment our culture, the things that you're exposed to, the things you see and hear and taste and touch, those actually shape the way that your mind works. Did you know that? They physically alter your brain. Now, I find that very interesting. What our amazing modern science has recently discovered, God talked about 2,000 years ago funny okay it's not funny do you know why that's funny look at verse two do not be conformed to this age we're not supposed to be shaped or molded by this age or this culture well if he's going to warn us not to be shaped or molded that would mean that we could be shaped and molded by this culture what on earth in this culture would shape and mold but our minds so God knew that the culture that we're in would shape and mold our minds. So if we want to understand the will of God, I'm going to just look at this verse quickly to show you how it works. In verse 2, Paul tells us first not to be conformed to this age. Very simply... Paul tells us not to allow the standards of this world to shape or mold our mind. When he says do not be conformed, the Greek word therefore conformed means shape or mold. And let me plant this picture in your head. When Aletheia was very young, my oldest daughter, she used to love dragons. And so she would get clay and she would mold these dragons. Little tiny dragons. It was very detailed. She had little knives and she would work on them. And I would go there and watch her at her little table. And, and, and mold and shape these dragons and I would go and look at them and what was a lump of clay when she was done with it would be a dragon. The culture that we live in our world shapes and molds your mind. Did you know that? Let me take it a little bit deeper, okay? There is a strategic, intentional plan to influence and shape your mind by our culture. There are people that work for companies. Their full-time job is to manipulate your mind to do what they want you to do. Generally, it's to buy a product or support a political movement. If you don't believe me, go into a Google search bar, type it, search for something, and then go to Facebook. What magically appears on Facebook within 30 minutes? Whatever you were looking for. Our culture and the people in this culture are strategically working to shape your mind and especially the minds of our kids. Now, Paul gives us a warning in verse two. Do not allow this world, do not conform to this age. Don't let this world shape your mind. I remember what it was like to live according to the standards of this world. I wasn't saved until I was 20. I remember what it was like to passively allow pop culture to shape the way I think, the way I live. But we've been miraculously and radically transformed into a new creation, amen? 1 Peter 1.14 says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance. Do not let this world shape who you are. Satan no longer has a claim on your life. Did you know that? He no longer has authority over what you think and what you do. You've been radically saved by God through Jesus. You've been born again, and now you have the Holy Spirit living within you. Philippians 3.20 says, our citizenship is in heaven. We are heirs of the King. We belong to the Father now, through a relationship with the Son, Jesus. We don't belong here. We're here on a mission for a season, but eventually we're going to go somewhere else. Paul says in Philippians 3.20, our citizenship, our home, our ultimate home is where? In heaven. Amen? And we eagerly wait for a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, the things we cared about before we knew Christ... Are no longer important to us. Every aspect of our existence changed when we were born again. We are a new creation. We have a new mind. We have a new heart. And one day, hallelujah, we're going to have a new body. Anybody wake up with any aches and pains today? Woo, it's temporary, okay? It's temporary. Colossians 3 2 says that we should set your minds on things above and not on earthly things. Theologian Robert Mounce writes this, The present age is evil. It cannot and must not serve as a model for Christian living. Its values and goals are antithetical to growth and holiness. So let's not be molded and shaped by popular culture. That's why we struggle to know God's will. That's why we struggle to know what God wants us to do, how He wants us to live. It's because we spend too much time being shaped by this world's culture. We spend too much time in front of the TV, on social media, diving into what pop culture has to offer, exposing our minds to the tactics of the enemy. We're allowing this world and the enemy to shape our minds. But it doesn't have to be that way. Look at the text. Verse 2. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Neuroscientists have proven that our minds are shaped by our environment. Something God said 2,000 years ago. Here, scripture tells us not to be transformed by the world, but to allow the very fabric of our existence to be transformed by, look at the text, the renewing of our mind. And in 2 Corinthians 3.18, Paul teaches us that over time, as we walk with Jesus, he transforms us into his likeness. So the more time we spend with Jesus, the more we become like Jesus, the more we become like Jesus, the more our minds are transformed to be like his. John Piper writes this, If you can break, if you long to break loose from conformity to this world, if you long to be transformed and new from the inside out, if you have a mountain today that you brought with you, if you're up against something that you can't move, if you long to be free from mere duty driven Christianity. And do what you love to do because what you love to do is what you ought to do. If you long to offer up your body as a living sacrifice so that your whole life becomes a spiritual act of worship and displays the worth of Christ above the worth of this world, then give yourself with all your might to pursuing this, the renewal of your mind. How do we do that? How do we renew our minds? Three steps lead us to that. Number one, you got to be born again. You'll never understand the will of God and his desire for your life unless you're saved. Because when we're lost, when we're not following Jesus, when we haven't been born again, our relationship with God is broken. It's Unable to be repaired by our own good deeds, our, our own actions, our own thoughts. There's no number of books you can read to make it right. We're we're lost and we're dying and and we're going to hell. But God knew that and he saw us in the midst of our pain and our suffering, and he sent Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. And Jesus came and died on the cross, and and he was buried in the ground, and he rose on the third day, conquering death and sin, and reconciling all who would turn from sin and trust in Him as Lord and Savior with the Father in heaven. So if we want to know God, and specifically, if we want to know the will of God for our lives, we must first be born again. Number two. So you are a born-again believer. And you want to know the will of God. You need to read and meditate on the Word of God. Just like we had all these kids up here with that little treasure map. They didn't know where that treasure was. They could have hunted maybe 10, 20, 30, 40 minutes before they came about it through that door. There is a real desire from our God in heaven for us to know Him, for us to walk with Him, For us to experience the joy that he desires for all believers to have while walking on this earth before we go to be with him in heaven. And he's given us an instruction manual. The Bible. The Word of God. If you're struggling to know what God wants from your life, then first and foremost, you need to be saved and number two, you need to read and meditate on the Word of God because this is the instrument that God used to show us His will. Now, current, strat- current surveys show us that half of all Christians in America rarely read the Word of God. And a third of Christians in America never read the word of god no wonder we're lost no wonder we're searching in the dark to know what god wants from us we're not reading his letter we're not reading his manual that he gives to us to know him and to know how he wants us to live romans 11:33 says oh the depth of the riches and the wisdom And the knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and how untraceable his ways. His word is a lamp to our feet and a light unto our path. Sounds to me like directions, right? If I want to know the word of God, I've got to read and meditate or study his word. This is the primary way that God shows us how he wants us to live. Finally, we've got to pray. Praying to God is a miraculous event, first and foremost. If you spend any time studying the God of this universe, you know that he's pretty amazing, right? He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He knows everything about everyone from all time. He knows the beginning and the end. He knows everything that's going to happen before it ever happens. And that big mountain that you brought in, he's able to remove that because nothing's impossible for God. That God, that amazing, miraculous, loving God has invited you to speak with him. It's pretty amazing. What's more amazing is through the indwelling Holy Spirit, when we go to our Father in prayer, he actually hears you. Did you know that? He actually moves and acts on this earth through your prayers. The average Christian prays for less than three minutes a day. Let me just tell you something. If I got married to my wife Darlene, and I spent three minutes a day talking to her, how do you think that relationship would go? Maybe she would like that, I don't know. <laughs> she says no. How well would I know my wife if we only spoke for three minutes a day? If I only spent time in her presence talking to her, telling her about my challenges, my, my struggles, or, or the great things that happened in my day? How, how, how healthy would our marriage be? How are we going to know The will of our father if we don't talk to him if we don't spend time with him every day and how more how much more important is our relationship with God than any relationship that we could ever have on this earth it's infinitely more important now the good news is we can know him we can pray to him we can spend time with him and our father says come come to me With your burdens come to me with your challenge come to me with your mountains I want to hear from you he says I want to hear the things that are great in your life and the things that are not great in your life I believe that many of our spiritual challenges continue to plague our lives because we're not praying about them because we're not looking into the word of God to find his direction our renewed mind, as opposed to our sinful, rebellious, and darkened mind before we were saved by Jesus, does something pretty special. Once we walk with Christ, as we find ourselves spending time with Him in prayer, as we devote our time to reading and meditating on the Word of God, something amazing happens. Look at verse 2. You may discern what is the good, pleasing and perfect will of God. Our mind, as it is constantly renewed by the ministry of the Holy Spirit, engaging in the reading and meditation on the Word of God, as we pray, will remain fixed on the proper pathway that God has for your life. And now comes the challenge. Am I ready, like Paul, to walk by faith? Am I ready as I become aware, as I come to understand, as the pathway that God has for my life, his will is revealed? Am I prepared to take that step of faith and to follow him? And so, in a minute, I'm going to invite everybody to stand. We're going to have a time of singing and worship as we close. And I want to encourage you during this time just to prepare your hearts for this moment of decision. Is there a moment? Is there a step? Is there something that God's Holy Spirit is drawing you to do today? Maybe you came in here with that mountain, and maybe you need to lay it at the feet of Jesus today and trust him with it. Maybe there's something God's calling you to do in ministry. Or maybe you just need to be saved. Maybe you don't know Jesus yet and you want to. In a minute, we're all going to stand and I want you to come down here. I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want to pray with you. I want to show you a way to Jesus. I want you to be able to come and pray at the altar. Whatever God's called you to do, I want to invite everybody to stand now. Let's use this time to follow whatever it is that God's calling us to do by faith. Heavenly Father, I pray over this time, I ask God that you would give us the faith it takes to surrender ourselves to your will. Maybe someone in here today, God, was convicted about praying. Maybe that person's not praying. And today they're going to start. Or maybe they're not reading your word and meditating upon it. Maybe today they've been convicted and and they're going to start. Maybe someone needs to be saved today, God. Or someone brought in a burden that they need to give to you. Whatever it is, God, whatever it is during this moment, help us to take a step of faith and surrender that to you and follow through in obedience. In Jesus' name I pray.